Let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning and join me as we read out of Matthew's Gospel in the fifth chapter. We'll be reading out of what we refer to as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we have been on a journey ourselves looking at the seven deadly sins. So we began early in January looking at pride, and then we moved to uh, the sin of envy, and then anger, and then sloth. We've addressed greed and gluttony, and today we move to one of the last seven deadly sins called lust. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is addressing adultery. He starts out with anger, really murder, and moves to anger, and then he moves to adultery and lust, and eventually ends up on divorce. So let's begin with chapter 5, verse 27. Hear these words from Jesus. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Now, adultery is commandment number 7 of the Ten Commandments. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then in an effort to both describe the depth and the degree to which we should go to root out anything that blocks our relationship with God, and at the same time to demonstrate how ridiculous it would be to mutilate your entire body and still end up with a wicked heart, This is what Jesus says in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. But of course, you could mutilate your entire body and still not have a heart that was open to God, and that still would distance you from your Creator. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Together, let us say, thanks be to God. Even though I gave up some long-distance running a number of years ago in favor of taking care of my knees so that I can play clay court tennis. I still remember what it takes to run a long distance. It takes a commitment to patiently pace yourself for the long haul. I've never run a marathon or a half marathon, but I have noticed that those people who run marathons typically do not sprint throughout the entire race. What they do is they make that commitment to hang in there over the course of the marathon, and that allows them to complete the race successfully. This morning, I want you to hang on to that picture of a marathon and that picture of a sprint. I think it's a good way for us to think about the godly virtue of love and the seven deadly sin, the seventh of the deadly sins that we call lust. 
Love is a marathon. Lust is a short-distance sprint. Love builds intimacy physically, emotionally, and spiritually with one person over the long haul. And lust treats people as objects for sexual gratification in the moment. Love is committed. Love is controlled and love is romantic on a permanent basis. Lust is unchecked on a temporary basis. Love originates from the heart. Lust originates in the loins and the groin. Lust, or rather love, celebrates the marriage bond while lust looks for the fleeting embrace. Love endures all things while lust endures very little. Love gives and it nurtures while love takes and it destroys. Currently in our world, we see a lot of addictions. And you'll note that there are addictions that abound to pornography and prostitution, sex outside of the marriage bonds, whether before marriage or in addition to marriage. We note the high rate of divorce, the number of children who are born out of wedlock, couple cohabitation, not as the wedding vows state, for as long as we both shall live, but for as long as it meets our needs. All of those things point towards a culture that seems to me at times that we are more in lust with each other than we are in love with each other. Love, or rather lust, meaning that we desire, we covet, we have a passion, we have a longing for something in our lives that is not healthy. And currently in our world, we are now seeing courageous women who are stepping forward in the Me Too movement. They are now calling out men who have sexually assaulted, threatened, abused, and harassed women in the workplace and in other settings without their consent. All of that is unacceptable behavior regardless of who that person is in the political world, in the entertainment world, in the sports world, in the educational world, in the business world, and certainly in the religious or the church world. It's all unacceptable behavior regardless of who it is that does it. Now, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, understands the dangers of a sprinter's perspective filled with lust. Jesus invites us in this text not to substitute the imitation for the real thing. The imitation being sexual intimacy outside of the confines of marriage. There are two biblical words for that imitation and those two words are adultery and fornication. The English word fornication is actually the Greek word porneia. And it's where we get our English words pornography or pornographic. Porneia comes from another Greek root which means to sell off. So porneia is selling off your sexual purity. 
In the Bible, it can refer to a prostitute or a harlot. It means to live a sexually unrestrained life. In our day and age, porneia is a dangerous use of God's good gift of sex, of our sexuality. And we need to say that it is a good gift that God gives us. But it's a dangerous misuse of that gift. And today it can refer to a lot of different things, I think, in our world. It certainly can include premarital sex, pornography, adultery, and of course pornography, I need to go back to, of the TV, internet, print, or phone variety. It can refer to sexual addictions, multiple sexual partners, sex for sale or hire, sometimes as a result of human trafficking. It can refer to sexual abuse of any kind. It can even refer to emotional attachments with other people other than your mate through work flirtations or certainly through social media engagement, even though it may not have yet led to some sort of intimate encounter. The ingredients of adultery and pornea begin with a prolonged look. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks, who looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now let's be clear. It's not a look. It is a prolonged look for the stated purpose of desiring another person which becomes lust. Which, when it receives rehearsal time in the mind, gets nurtured. And eventually, conceivably, potentially, becomes adultery or pornea. And if you're married, can lead on to what Jesus is talking about next in the Sermon on the Mount, which is called divorce. But let's all understand that it begins with the prolonged, lustful look that seeks to possess or control or to use another person for our own selfish purposes. Now, it's also fair to note that our lust-filled fantasies and behavior do not have to be just sexual in nature for relationships to crumble and for trust to be destroyed. You and I both know that couples sometimes have affairs with their work and with their vocation, meaning the work and the vocation becomes more important than the marriage. We can even have affairs with our children, Children become more important than the marriage. We can have affairs with church. We can have affairs with money or athletics, gambling, drugs, alcohol. You just fill in the blank. Anything that becomes more important than the marriage relationship represents a possibility that lust, you desire, you covet, you long for something else other than your spouse. So, what are some of the remedies to keep us on the marathon path of love 
and to keep us away from that sprint towards lust. Well, I want to put a couple of things on the screen as suggestions for us to think about this morning. The first thing, when lust and not love starts to motivate our thoughts and our behaviors, is that we ought to consider practicing the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual habits, the practices of the spiritual life. What are some of those? Well, we're talking about things like Bible study and reading. We're talking about prayer and meditation. We're talking about worship. We're talking about service. We're talking about times of silence and solitude where we listen closely for the voice of God. Remember that lust is a misplaced hunger or thirst. Lust is a misplaced hunger or thirst. It's a misplaced longing and desire for intimacy. Now, companionship with another person means being as much the right kind of person as it means finding the right kind of person. So if we fill ourselves with scripture and prayer and worship and meditation, giving to and serving others, journaling, those are some of the spiritual disciplines, we become the right kind of person who is attractive to another person on a long-term basis. Our spirituality is tied up with our sexuality. So, one of the invitations of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, is to keep our eyes on Jesus. So when you keep your eyes on Jesus, you minimize the possibility that lustful temptation will move us towards some form of unhealthy behavior. Harry Emerson Fosdick wrote that a soul unoccupied by a positive devotion is sure to be occupied by spiritual demons. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, wrote that you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making nests in your hair. The fact is, you can't stop thoughts from coming into your mind, but you don't have to dwell on them. Someone has said that either this book, the Bible, will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And Jesus tells us in this text that if we cut off a limb or gouge out an eye, that's really only an outward prescription for change. We can st still end up in hell with a mutilated body if the heart hasn't been changed. So that's why I suggest to you this morning that one of the first things we ought to do when tempted by any of these seven deadly sins, but certainly lust, is that we begin to practice those spiritual disciplines. When you fill your heart and your mind with Scripture, when you fill your heart and your mind with prayerful thoughts, when you are engaged in worship and service to others, time spent alone with God, it minimizes the possibility that you're going to be tempted through lustful thoughts. That's number one, practice the spiritual disciplines. Number two, if you are married, this is a special word for those of you who are married or in a committed relationship, 
make sure that you make regular deposits in your spouse's love bank. What do I mean by love bank? Well, William F. Harley Jr. has written a book entitled His Needs, Her Needs. His Needs, Her Needs. When I officiate a wedding for a couple getting married, I, I don't demand, but I gently insist and encourage that they read this book. So if you've been married a week or 10 weeks or 10 years or 100 years and you've never read this book, you ought to read it. I'm gently insisting and recommending if you're married that you read it. His needs, her needs. William Harley in the book spends the chapters of the book talking about five basic needs of men and five basic needs of women. And what William Harley says in the book is that the genesis, the origin of an affair, occurs when we do not make adequate deposits in our spouse's love bank. When we're not attuned and attentive to meeting her needs or his needs, what happens is that when I receive more withdrawals in my love bank than I do deposits, I may tend to be open to someone else who may want to make some deposits in my love bank. So, you know, earlier we said that when you practice the spiritual disciplines, you keep your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. Well, when you make deposits in your spouse's love bank, you are now keeping your eyes on your spouse. And you are attentive to his or her needs and meeting those needs. Now, Jesus' love for the church, after you read His Needs, Her Needs, the book, or really before, you need to read Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. In that text, Paul gives us a beautiful picture of Jesus' love for the church. And then he goes on to say, husbands and wives should relate to each other in the same way as Jesus relates to his church, with the same love, with the same devotion, with the same mutual esteem, with the same sacrificial love, we relate to our spouses just as Jesus relates to the church. So you see, when you make regular deposits in your spouse's love bank, and when you follow Jesus' model of his love for the church, that's a great guard against lustful thoughts invading our marriage, which eventually could lead to an affair, which could eventually lead to divorce. And that's what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. He's going from anger to lust to adultery to divorce because he, all, he understands that it begins with the look. A prolonged look for the purpose of using or controlling or possessing someone else. So, after you practice the spiritual disciplines, if you are married, make those regular deposits in your spouse's love bank. Keep your eyes on your spouse. And the last one. Ask for help in battling lustful thoughts or behavior. And really, as we end up the seven deadly sins, really, this is the case for any of them. 
pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. There are times when something is beyond us. And yes, we need God's help, but we need the help of His people too. We need the support, first of all, of our families. We need the support of friends. We need small groups where we find accountability and encouragement, where we find a sense of community with each other. And one of the reasons you'll hear me and others often say, when you come into this church, you need to find a Sunday school class on Sunday morning. You need to find a small group on Wednesday night, a spiritual formation group. You need to find, if those two times do not work, you need to find a Bible study on another night in our church or in our community. You need to find that small group where there is encouragement, where there is study, where there is accountability. So if you show up just for worship on Sunday morning, don't hear me saying that you're not going to be a part of the kingdom of God. You already are, if you know Jesus. But I'm simply saying you're going to be missing out on one of the helps, on one of the places of assistance and encouragement when you go through those difficult times and you need that support of people to help you battle one of these seven deadly sins or another one. I want you to be aware that beyond Sunday school, Bible study, Wednesday night spiritual formation, that we have some other groups in the life of our church and in our community that you can call on. One of those groups is called Grief Share. Grief Share, it meets on Monday nights. And it's primarily designed for individuals who have lost a loved one through death. Now, if you know anything about the grief process, you know that a part of grief is anger. And there are a lot of people, when there is a death in the family, they get stuck in the anger portion part of that grief process. And anger, if it is unresolved, can become one of the seven deadly sins that rules and reigns your life. So we have a great group that Becky Orr in our church helps to lead and to facilitate. And if there's someone you know, or maybe you're one of those folks, and you're moving through grief, and maybe you're stuck in that place of feeling angry, we've got a group that can help address that specifically. We also have another group that's called Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is a really all-encompassing group that's designed to help folks who are dealing with hurts and habits and hang-ups of all types. It may be a sexual addiction. It may be an eating food addiction that deals with the sin of gluttony. It may be an anger addiction. It may be something related to drugs or alcohol. Any of the seven deadly sins that may trip you up. And Don and Luann Sullivan. Don, thank you for what... You and Luann are doing in leading Celebrate Recovery on Sunday afternoons and Monday nights. And this group is about 18 months old now, and it's flourishing. And there are other places where it meets in our community. So if you know somebody, or if you're one of those folks that's dealing with a hurt or a habit or a hang-up, and you need accountability and you need support, we've got that group that meets right here in our church twice a week. We also have an organization in our community called CareNet East Counseling. 
And in case you don't know about Carnet East, it literally, the offices are right across Charles Street from our church on Oakmont Drive. Carnet East is a faith-based pastoral counseling center. The therapists there have uh, masters and doctoral degrees in social work or marriage and family therapy. Many of them also have divinity school master's level degrees. And I want to commend Carnet East to you. We have Carnet East as we do celebrate recovery and grief share. We have Carnet East in our church budget. And if you need a place to go, a safe place to talk about some things. Now, you can always come to me as your pastor. But I'm very much aware that sometimes it's hard to have your pastor be your therapist. You need another place to go where you can kind of unpack some of the stuff in your life, and you just need your pastor to be your pastor. So I want you to be aware that CareNet is there to help you to walk through some of those difficult times in your life And if one of those seven deadly sins or anything else is starting to rule and reign in your life, you've got a place like CareNet, and I make referrals all the time, and I want to commend their ministry to you. I want to close this morning by saying, by telling you about a visitor who went down to a fishing dock. And he noticed an old fisherman sitting there on that dock and the pole and the line was out in the water. And the fellow was wondering how deep the water was. And so he said to the old fisherman, he says, you know, if I fall into this water, will I drown? And the old fisherman says, no, falling into the water doesn't drown anybody. It's staying under it that does. And I want you to know that every one of us in this room, we all fall into the water every once in a while. There was only one sinless human being in the history of this world, and his name was Jesus. And if you're without sin, you you are a historical reality beyond Jesus. Every one of us falls into the water once in a while. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul writes. But I think when it comes to lust, it is that marathon heart of love and not the sprinter's heart of lust that keeps us from staying under and drowning. So I want to commend to you today that marathon heart of love and let it be filled with the love of Christ. Join me and let's pray together for a moment. In this moment of silence, I'd like to invite you to reflect on your life. And as we close this series on the seven deadly sins, is there one or more of those with which you are still wrestling? One that seems to be winning more so than not. Would you take a moment in the silence of your heart to confess whatever sin is before you this morning, whatever it is that blocks the path between you and God. The beginning of the journey starts with naming and confessing our sin. 
And then being open to the grace and the forgiveness, the mercy and the pardon of a loving God who specializes in second chances and third chances and beyond. So take a moment to name and then receive God's forgiveness of whatever it is that blocks you and God in a moment of silent prayer. Lord, have mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.